This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Friday the 12th of March 2021. And Norman, one thing we keep hearing about the vaccines is that they've been developed in record time and breakneck speed and all of these sorts of really fast words. And um, you've got something to say about this. They actually haven't been developed as quickly as people think. No, and I hear doctors talk, saying, I, you know, I've come across specialists who say, oh, I'm not having this because it's been developed too quickly and we just don't know. And it shows a fundamental misunderstanding here and it frightens the public. Every time a doctor, somebody stands up, a minister or somebody stands up, isn't it fantastic, this miracle that we've developed these in such record time is a miracle of modern science. It actually scares people because they think it's too quick. So it's not too quick at all. So let's just dissect this whole vaccine development thing. So anybody listening to Coronacast who's had a medication by prescription from their doctor, that medication has been approved on the basis of a randomised phase three trial. That's how things get approved, randomised phase three trials. So whether you're on cancer care or antibiotics or um, other, other drugs for diabetes or what have you, or, or heart disease, they've been approved on a randomised control trial, a phase three trial, which shows efficacy. So if you actually think about where it's been approved, the point to which the vaccines got is the point at which vaccines and drugs are normally approved. So where does the idea of rushing come from? Well, people, I think, think that these vaccines have been developed in the same year, in this past year, which in fact is not true. If we just do a little bit of history, two or three years ago, an organisation called the, I think it's called Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness and Innovation. CEPI, yeah. Had effectively a competition. The competition was come up with a vaccine technology platform that could develop a vaccine to a new virus within 16 weeks. It was off the back of the Ebola outbreaks in Africa where they felt like they were just chasing their tails and they needed to be on the front foot next time. That's right. They knew another pandemic was coming. So five groups won it, or five technologies won it. There was the University of Queensland technology and the mRNA technology and a couple of other technologies won it. And they won it a while ago. What happened was that these technology platforms were shovel-ready in January, so much so that when Eddie Holmes at Sydney University released the genome worldwide, companies like Moderna were, all, were onto it straight away and within a matter of weeks had already designed effectively the first version of their vaccine. Now, it's true that some of these vaccines hadn't been fully studied in humans, but they were well-developed platforms. They still had to go through phase one studies. They were pre-existing platforms that were designed to produce vaccines quickly. That's why they won the, the prize. So then it comes to the trials themselves. Have we short-circuited the trials? Well, the one bit of the trials probably in a bit short-circuited is the phase two studies where they spend a lot of time looking at doses. That's probably one reason why the Astra vaccine got in a bit of trouble. But effectively, they went to phase three, being pretty sure of what dose they needed most of the, in, in most of the vaccines. Now, a phase three study, there are lots of examples of drugs, forget vaccines, which fail to even recruit enough people that the, that the trial is ever done. There's a high failure rate in phase three studies just to recruit enough patients. And in vaccine studies, they're notorious for taking years sometimes to recruit enough patients to be able to do the phase three study. Because there were millions of people with COVID-19, they were able to recruit 40,000 
people for each trial incredibly quickly and because there was so much virus around they got infected very quickly and so you got to what's called the end point very very fast unprecedentedly fast not through any short circuit but it's just all the other stuff you would normally wait four years to because it all happens slowly happened quickly. Right. So the years and years that we usually wait for vaccines isn't the science that we're waiting for. Often it's it's just the prevalence of whatever the disease is. It's the pure pragmatic element of doing a trial when there's not much virus around and you're waiting for 200, 300 people to be infected against placebo to see whether or not it's protective. That's simply a waiting game. We didn't have to wait. The people, unfortunately, tragically, were there and they got infected incredibly quickly and you got a result very quickly. So these vaccines have actually not been as developed as quickly as you think. It comes to the same point. So if you're feeling uncomfortable about these vaccines getting approved on phase three, you should be feel uncomfortable about any drug you've ever taken because that's what happens. But the other thing about these vaccines is, which has never happened before, it's never happened before that they've been approved with tens of millions of people having had the vaccine, um, at least in the Australian context, tens of millions had already had it in the real world with no new safety signals emerging. So in terms of safety and effectiveness, thanks to the Israeli data and the British data, we're confident that they work in the real world and that they're not dangerous, at least in the short to medium term. Long term, we have to wait and see. But there's a very good track record in vaccines of not having problems in the long term. So this whole thing about a rush is a mirage. So you're saying there's actually more evidence for COVID vaccines that have been approved in Australia than there has been for many, many other drugs and vaccines that we've had approved in the past. 100%, so to speak. And speaking of 100%. Well, yeah, let's let's bust some more uh, health communication furfies, Norman. Dragging these things down into the dirt. <laughs> there was a, there's been a published paper in the British Medical Journal about how the B117 variant, the UK so-called UK variant, how deadly it is compared to the original Wuhan strain of coronavirus. And some of the headlines reporting on this study have said that it's up to 100% more deadly than the original strain of coronavirus, which is a bit misleading, Norman. It is misleading. When you look at the study, and I'll just try and be brief about this because it's complex statistics, is that on the balance of probabilities, and we talk, spoke about this the other day where somebody was picking me up and we're talking about averages, it's a probabilistic thing. So the, on looking at this study, which compared large numbers of people infected with the old virus and their chances of dying with the B117, the new virus, and what were their chances of dying? The probability was, the most likely probability from the study, is nothing certain, is that it's a 64% increase in dying, which is still significant. It means that compared to the old virus, where 2.5 people per 1,000 people detected uh, died, it went up to 4.1 people per 1,000. So it's not good, but it's not 100%. Where they get the 100% from is what's called the confidence intervals. I don't want to get too complicated there, but they're really about describing how accurately you can be or how sure you can be that it was 64%. And the confidence intervals are really tight in this one. So high degree of confidence that it's 64%, not 100%. And it's worth mentioning that even with the B117 variant, which does seem to be slightly or significantly more deadly, that's in an unvaccinated population. And we do know that unlike some of the variants going around, the vaccines that we've got are actually very effective at protecting against the B117 variant. In fact, they bring the they bring the death rate down to zero. So, Tegan, it's Friday. That's it. That means it's a quick fire Friday time. Let's rattle through some questions. Let's go. 
Jay O'Donnell saying, what does an 81% efficacy rate actually mean? Well, when you see the word efficacy, it means it's come from a clinical trial rather than necessarily the real world after it gets out into the community. That's the first thing. And it's efficacy at preventing any symptom, mild to moderate to severe symptoms. So the whole bundle of symptomatic COVID-19, 81% efficacy. If you separate out what the efficacy was for severe disease, then it was 100%, just about 100% for pretty much all the vaccines. Ed's asking, we've said before that people might need booster shots each year to protect us from new variants. And Ed's wondering, will this be for the entire population or maybe just some susceptible people? How that's actually going to be rolled out is uh, is, is a matter of interest. Uh, I, so it may just be that if you want to travel, you have to have the variant. It may be that if you want to work on borders or in hospitals, you've got to have the variant vaccine. How it's going to be rolled out is another matter. And also it It will be rolled out massively if, in fact, you get breakthrough variants which are not as protective against severe disease. So it's really how the variants evolve until this pandemic settles down and becomes endemic. So whilst we're in the chaos of a pandemic, it's really hard to predict how they're going to be used. Belinda lives in Adelaide and they're a bit worried about the recent find of COVID-19 in wastewater testing. And they're wondering whether could this be a result of vaccinations? The answer is no, because the vaccinations are not with the live virus. The vaccinations are done with the spike proteins and not even the spike protein. It's just a genetic message to produce the spike protein, not the whole virus. So you're, you're not getting... Uh, the virus and the large chunks of RNA coming out in in your wee. This is just um, the spike protein, which then disappears actually from your blood once the after a few days when the uh, after the immune system's responded to it. Miriam's asking about people in the vaccine queue, saying if we needed booster shots against COVID variants, are the people towards the back of the queue actually at an advantage because maybe by the time it's their turn to get a vaccine, we'll have the updated versions of them. You couldn't bet on that because we've got no idea when the multivalent vaccines are coming, and you're much better to be fully immunised. And then when the booster shot comes, it just gives you an even better boost to it. You know, you wouldn't wait because you might be waiting a long time, you know, and it still might be that you've got to wait three months after your first dose to get fully immunised. And it could just delay you well into 2022. And how would you feel if borders opened up in November, which is what people are starting to talk about, and you can get on a plane because you were not properly immunised. And last question, this comes from someone who's in the New South Wales State Emergency Service. They've been told that they're eligible to be part of phase 1B of the vaccine rollout, but they're young and healthy and only do admin work in the SES. So should they take advantage of this and get the vaccine ASAP? Or would it be more helpful for them to not get their vaccine so that it perhaps goes to more vulnerable people first? Look, it's, a, it's an admirable aim. And so thank you for suggesting that. But I think you should get immunised because you're coming in contact with people in the state emergency service. So the outbreak of the cluster in South Auckland a couple of weeks ago was almost certainly from somebody who worked part-time in catering in the airport and had no obvious contact with people from overseas. So whilst you think, well, I don't have direct contact with crews and so on, you might. So you are within the circle of risk, so you should be immunised. Well, that's all we've got for Quick Fire Friday, and that's it for Coronacast for this week. If you've got a question or a comment, go to abc.net.au slash coronacast, click on Ask a Question, and mention Coronacast on the way through, and we'll pick it up for either next week or next Quick Fire Friday. Uh, And if you want to leave us a review, you know what to do on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're getting your podcasts, but we'll see you next week. See you Monday.